Would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 14? And uh, the title, Covenant Fulfillment, Christ and Isaac were getting there, and I thought uh, we would look at that tonight in more detail, but that'll uh, come back next week if you have the courage. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens from there, okay? Um, let's go back to Genesis chapter 14, beginning at verse 10. My eye on that. I don't like the little print on this. Let's try chapter 15. God has been having a discussion with Abraham, and Abraham is concerned, I have no covenant seed. Verse 4, Behold, the word, the promise, the assurance of the Lord came to him. This man, Eliezer of Damascus, will not be your heir. Your own son shall be your heir. Promissory. We don't know the future. He didn't know the future. God did. And we can't do much about the future, but God can. It's in his hands, and it is a part of his plan. And so God says, your son, and he takes him outside and says, look at the heavens, number the stars if you're able to count them. And, of course, with all of our fancy new astronomical stuff, we still can't. I was tickled the other day to read that now we know that the first... Uh, explosion, and the first, uh, all of that good stuff occurred 13 and a half billion years ago. Oh, good. Very helpful. Look to the heavens, number the stars, if you can count them, if you're able. So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord. And the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. And we see that quoted again in the New Testament. We are not saved by our good works, our ideas, or whatever. Simply, and God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you up from Ur of the Chaldees to give you. Notice who's doing the work. It isn't Abraham. Who's doing the work of salvation? It isn't us. God does it. He said he would, and he, he is in the process. <clears throat> I brought you up to give you this land to possess. You know, maybe this is a rich congregation. I don't know, but I doubt it. <laughs> there aren't very many rich RP congregations that I know of. I mean, maybe so. We're pleasantly middle class, but you know, you take this to a bunch of the places that the military has sent me, and you've been to some of them. We are rich, even in the world's goods. But our richness isn't how many Ferraris that we own. It is that he owns us. He claims us. He loves us. He gave himself for us. Our richness isn't in this life. It is in the life to come. But he's given us a pretty nice life here. Would we agree on that? We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. Of his own sovereign choice, he determined to deal with us in grace and mercy. And that's what you see back here with Abraham. Abraham didn't do anything. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Chapter 16, would you flip over there, please? 
chapter 16, 3. So after Abraham had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, his wife, okay, watch what's happening. The part of the bad news is this is ugly. This is adultery. This is prostituting your own wife. This is as bad as it gets. He wasn't saved because he was a good guy. And being saved didn't make him perfect. God loves even sinners. So she, his wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went in to Hagar, and she conceived. Man's good ideas never implement God's good plan. God said, we're going to do this with one woman, Sarah. One man, one woman for all time, and the blessing in the marriage, in the family. And what does he do? He prostitutes his wife. With her agreement, nonetheless, I think I recall the Ten Commandments saying things about that kind of arrangement. And what's, what's behind that? And a lack of faith in God to do what he's done. I've been waiting 10 years, God. Well, how long is 10 years in eternity? He got impatient. Sarah got impatient. And they did horrible, horrible things with horrible outcomes. 16, let's go to verse 10. You know the accounts, and the, so I'm jumping along with the assurance in my mind that you are uh, well familiar with this. Hagar, okay, so she's now been put out, and she's out here with a child who is dying of thirst. The angel said to her, to Hagar, I will so greatly multiply your descendants that they cannot be numbered for multitude. You will bear a son and call his name Ishmael, because God heard her praying when she was in desperation for her own self and the death of her child, which she was watching occur. She cried out, and God heard. I've never been in that, kind, that situation. I hope you haven't. The death of a child is a hard, hard thing. The death of the woman you've been married to for 80 years, 75 years, a hard, hard thing. God doesn't say, okay, you're now a Christian. I'll sprinkle you with poofy, spoofy dust, and everything will just be wonderful. He says, lo, I'm with you always in the valley of the shadow of death. As a chaplain, I buried a bunch of pagans. And I have been in services. In fact, one of them I knew the situation, and I had the secret police there heavily armed. We were expecting gunfire. And his friends were distraught, and they were shrieking and shouting because they knew he was in hell. A terrible, terrible thing that you have seen since you Yes, it hurts. We cry. But knowing the Lord has been gracious, knowing people have responded in faith and lived a life as best they sinners could, 
and we commend them to God. I, perhaps my favorite funeral, when we got all done, an elder came to me and reamed me out. A funeral should be a sad thing, and you made it a happy thing, and they were joyful, and you were positive. Yes, that was a Christian we buried. Everybody in the area knew he was a Christian. <laughs> no. Heaven. Not because he was good, but because God was good. And he sees us through those hard times. That's a part of my point. No matter what happens in this life, God doesn't abandon us, but he does take us through hard times. Even his own son, Jesus, went through the Gethsemane experience, didn't he? Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not that broken heart, he, as a fully man, doesn't want to die. He's fully human, fully submitted to the will of God. He went through the dark night of the soul. She, coming back here, is going through the hard night of the soul. And so we read 10 through 12. You're going to have this, this boy is going to produce. He will be a wild ass of a man, his hand against every man, every man's hand against him, and he will dwell over against all of his kinsmen. He is going to be the enemy. And twelve tribes, Ishmaelites and Ammonites, and ten other tribes. And to this day, they hate Israel. What is the most fundamental issue for any Muslim country? It is the destruction of Israel. They don't get it. This child is the result. And the 12 nations that hate Israel hate Christianity, by the way. The only thing they, hurt, they hate as badly as Judaism is Christians. Don't let them know you're a Christian. You may well be persecuted. This all comes because Abraham, who believed God, didn't believe God. And he took it into his own hands to do God's work his own way. And it affected world history. Why do I have so many hundreds of my guys in the Middle East today? In part, because of the sin of this one man. God kept his promise to Abraham. He gave him Isaac. Chapter 17, would you look at verse 14? We ended the reading this morning. Uh, the covenant baptism, of which we read and thought of, uh, at least briefly this morning, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. And by the way, that is a, that is a pun in Hebrew. Circumcision, the cutting off, and he will be cut off. This in, in, I suppose not a pun, a double entendre, if you let me say that. Um, what's this about? That cutting off the foreskin is the picture of the putting away of old sin, expressly sexual sin, which we just looked at, didn't we, a minute ago with Father Abraham and the consequences of that. I don't think I need to say anything to young women here, but I think I will. Guys have desires, and it's not your best interest. A non-Christian guy. In my experience, okay, we're talking about a different group. They were, 
the Army is not compo composed of RPCNA Sabbath school teachers. You get her, you sleep with her, she conceives, and you abandon her. And now that kid has no father. And things go spiraling down. And I grew up in Nebraska. There's some families, some guys still up there that I knew. They didn't believe the gospel that they heard in the RP church. And as soon as they could, they walked away. And they've walked away from wives and kids, and nobody in the community today would recognize that they had any Christian background at all. And they've produced generations now of miscreants of bad people. The sins of the fathers in the seduction of a young woman and the abandonment of the young woman, the abandonment of the child, bears fruit generation after generation in the same way that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, thou, thou shalt be saved, in the same thing that parents raising Christian children in a Christian home, in a Christian church, and the Holy Spirit blessing that and bringing them to Christ goes from generation to generation. It is important to say that none of the big names in the RP church are patting themselves on the back. Look at us. I've never seen that. I've never heard that. It is of God's grace. But it is multi-generational, often. If you want your grandkids to be blessed, bless your kids by teaching them, missionaryizing them, evangelizing them, schooling them to live a life consistent with the Word of God. That's how we bless those who follow along after us. Chapter 17, let me go back. This one who is not circumcised has broken covenant. He is outside. If you don't circumcise your children, that is to say catechize, evangelize, educate, Christian education, if you don't do that, the kid bears the responsibility. He has broken my covenant. He is outside. He is under the judgment of God. What parent wants to know you are responsible for the kid going to hell? But that's the picture here. Dereliction in what he did and the consequence with Ishmael and the example here of with Isaac and the grace of God and the blessing of multi-generation. And so God says to him, your wife, Sarah, will be her name. I will bless her and give you a son by her. God hadn't promised something and then went slack on it. That one. That one. Why is this important? She is of the covenant line. Hagar was an Egyptian, and she gets an Egyptian husband, an Egyptian wife for her son. Why is that an issue? You don't like Egyptians? No. <laughs> I don't like their Egyptian gods, their religion. After all, when Israel is coming out of Egypt, there are ten plagues. What are those ten plagues about? Everyone is targeted at one of the major gods, a part of the religion of Egypt. The reason they could be so debauched was they had debauched gods. A debauched religion. Same thing with Islam, Hindu. We could go on and on. 
God chose this woman, Sarah, out of the covenant line which traces back to Eve. And that's why in the New Testament, the accounts of the, the genealogies of Jesus trace through Mary back to Adam. And, by the way, through Joseph back to Adam. She was of that line that God had said he would bless and through whom he would bring blessing. That's why it's terribly important that the covenant is fulfilled through Sarah, not through a pagan who obviously was not converted or she would have gotten her son, a husband, from the, the Israelites. She was still stuck in her re false religion and raises a child up in her false religion. And what's he like? A wild onager of a man, a wild ass. What's a bowman for? Well, it's, it's nice to eat and you can kill food, but it's a great uh, weapon of war. In fact, it's still very effective today. He's against everybody. This says something to us about the necessity of covenantal piety, covenantal filial loyalty, obedience to our God. He says, verse 19, Sarah, your wife, not this concubine, wife, will bear you a son. You will call his name Isaac. I will establish, I will establish my covenant with him. God exercising his love and his grace and his mercy to, to whom he will have mercy as an everlasting covenant to his descendants. The nice thing is he's not promising him just a good life in this life. A co an everlasting covenant. What does that mean? When your spirit leaves your body, we're going to put your, your body in a box and put it in the ground. Where are you? If you're a child of God, you are with the Lord in heaven in a place of perfection. No suffering, no sin, no sorrow, no separation. All the things that make life at its best on earth make it be bad. All that. And we don't have that just as an idle hope. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the exact character of God, said, and when I go, I'll come back and take you where I am there. Beyond our imagination, we are, are so limited. God is infinite. We are so finite. Besides that, we're fallen and ignorant. We don't get it all, but we have his grand promises of what he has in mind for us. The covenant isn't just for this life. It is, in fact, primarily for eternity. Um, chapter 19, would you turn to verse 15? <clears throat> Here again, we have a different guy, same circumstance. God has given you the promises, the covenants, and you know all this stuff. Uh, and what did you do? Well, Abraham and Lot, looking at things that we, we've both done really well. There's not enough rangeland here for us. We're going to have to separate. And a good old Lot, selfish, self-centered, he sees over there the valley of the Jordan. Well, I want that for me. And what does he do? He walks away from the land of Canaan, which was a land of promise, 
which is in a figure is heaven. The promised land to Israel was, after all, not just a bunch of barren desert in the Middle East. It's, it's ultimately heaven. <clears throat> Lot, well, what, should, what can we learn from Abraham's nephew? We can learn a lot. And one of them is, don't turn your back on heaven, on Canaan. He's looked over there, all this great stuff. I want to be rich. I like power. It's about me and what I want. And so he goes. And so then we look over here in the 19th chapter, verse. What's happened in the interim? A couple of cities destroyed, Sodom and Gomorrah. And remember all the stupid stuff that Lot does in his entire operation. The guy is a moron on a good day. And so the God comes down, and he's pulling them out. He has to go grab them. He lingered, verse 16. Well, the, the, the angel said to Lot, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. We're looking out for you, pal. But he lingered. Oh, I've got houses and lands and cattle and sheep. And, oh, it's been such a wonderful experience in this city of sin. He lingered. In God's grace, he didn't say, okay, buddy. What did he do? The men seized him. Come here, boy. Seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, being merciful to him. They brought him outside, set him outside the city. They said, flee for your life. Don't even look back over your shoulder. Don't, don't stop anywhere in this valley. Flee to the hills, lest you be consumed. And Lot said to them, oh, no, no, my lords, behold, your servants, your servants, has found favor in your sight. You have shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot flee to the hills lest the disaster overtake me and I die. What God said, it's going to happen to the folks in the valley. And he's told you where to go, to be safe. What are you doing? You arguing with God again? I mean, after a while, you ought to get on to this. You're going to lose. I cannot flee to the hills lest disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, yonder is near enough to flee. I've got a better God, a better idea than you, God. I have a better way of being saved than you have. And it's a little city. Let me escape there. Isn't it a little city? And my life will be saved. How dumb is that? And he, the angel of God, said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Make haste and escape there. I can do nothing till you arrive there. Verse 24, you know the story. Total destruction. Lot's wife looks back, turned into a pillar of salt. Great, a whole bunch of really great sermons there. But we're getting to a little different point. Verse 30. So Lot went up out of Zoar. Isn't that interesting? A half a dozen verses after he's been arguing to God about, I have a better plan than you do, he gets over there and says, oh. <laughs> and so he leaves Zoar and dwelt. Where did God send him before? He said, go in the hills. 
He goes up there, desperation, with his two daughters, for he was afraid to dwell in Zoar. We're not going to go ahead and read the whole account. You know what happened. Incest, adultery, drunkenness, the violation of the covenant, practical atheism, the consequence of man's great ideas being substituted for the plan of God, the consequence is disaster. We can go ahead and play this on out. For the sake of time, I won't. But notice this. Every time man's got a great idea, <laughs> it doesn't work out and things get worse. And so who are the children conceived by incest in that cave up in the mountains? The firstborn son of his daughter, the, the, the son of his firstborn daughter, it was called Moab. He is the father of Moab, the Moabite. To this day, interestingly enough, that's still true. And the second daughter, her baby was named Ben-Ami, the son of my father. Interesting name. Hi, my name is my mother's an adulteress. Go figure. And he's the father of the Ammonites to this day. They are still in the Middle East, still doing what they did. But part of the reason the world is so messed up is men who should have known better didn't. They acted according to their own will, rejected the plan of God, and the consequences fall on us. One of the things I want to wrap up we, we're not in the, the kind of situation they were in. God is not dealing directly with us and, and the covenant and so on. But he is dealing with us in the covenant. We've got it in the book. We've got it by the Holy Spirit. We've got it in the mind. We've been taught this. We've got it in the heart. We love God. We love his word. We want to please him, not because we are good people. I'm not patting ourselves on the back. We're sinners. But by grace, God has brought us. But there is always, and I'm more prone, I guess, because of today, to speak to men. It is up to us as men to lead, not putting women down, to lead, not to provide the fifth Ferrari for somebody. Worship adoration. I'm so glad there are this many people in this community that would come together to hear the negative word of God, which I hope is positive word of God here. To hear once again what you already knew before you walked in. God's called you to be a man. He has called you to be a woman. However that works out. But the blessing is in obedience. Our, some, one of the summaries. Man's ignorant, sinful disobedience brings eternal negative consequences. And I've shared them from Nebraska farm community to back here. Covenantal obedience brings eternal blessing to faithful believers and their offspring. God is still in the business extending his covenant. We are called to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Get Jesus out from behind the stained glass, out from behind the organ, out from behind all the trappings of religiosity, getting back in the marketplace, talk to the people you work with, the people you're around, the people you visit with, and share the gospel. 
an American who doesn't hear the gospel and go, goes to the same hell as a Chinaman who doesn't hear the gospel and goes to hell. And it isn't like they need something different. Let's move then to conclude. Would you turn, please, to Psalm 8b? I'd like to lead in prayer before we dismiss. We've come not to boast of ourselves and our heritage, but of the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you that in your grace you prepared the plan of salvation to buy us back from the hell that we deserve. You have given us grace to put us under the sound of sound preaching, under the sound of the word being read. Thank you that our children grow up with the sound of their parents reading the scripture and the family reading the scripture together. Thank you that your Holy Spirit takes that word and plants it in their hearts. We cannot convince them. We can't save anybody. And we rejoice and ask that you would continue to pour out your spirit, do so with even greater power as our world, as our culture goes down, down, down. Oh, Lord, may Christ be exalted the more. We do pray for Christians across the world and thinking of how many countries in which they are targeted by these Ammonites, these illegitimate children who serve a false god. They persecute your people to this day. Oh, Lord, put your hand of protection around the believers. Make a clear line of distinction that people looking on would see that, in fact, gospel obedience is a blessing not only in this life, but in the life to come. And, Lord, for those who this day are being tortured, give them such grace that they, too, will be able to evangelize their torturers and that the gospel might go in power to the Muslim people. Lord, make it real, not just words. We ask it, yes, for the sake of this congregation, this denomination, this country, yes. But more than that, we ask it for the sake of Christ's name, that his name will be known and honored, respected, held in reverence around the world, that he alone would receive the praise. And Lord, one day, whenever it is that he comes again to, to take his own out of the world, may we be found with the faithful. May we see you face to face and enter into glory with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name.